This is Power Players with Dan Clark. That's Dan, Power Players with Dan Clark. And this episode is with another one of our University of Utah student athletes. And one of the great opportunities of my lifetime is to interview these amazing human beings who happen to be great athletes. Let me repeat that. I think what makes the University of Utah so extraordinary, especially our athletic department, having played football and baseball there back in the day, is that I really believe that our recruiting mechanism, our recruiting focus is to recruit incredible human beings who happen to be extraordinary athletes with passion, creativity, imagination, drive, willing to put in the work ethic, sacrifice for their teammates. It's just amazing the kind of unique individuals that we attract into our University of Utah program. So today is a fine young woman who we need to keep our eye on because as she comes into the University of Utah as a freshman out of New Mexico, the the sky's the limit for this young woman. McKenna, nicknamed Big Mac, Mac, having played for Coach Mac Bride, that means a lot to me that you would have such a powerful and amazing nickname. But having an opportunity to hear from McKenna, and having listened to my formal introduction, it's a pleasure to have her here in the studio. And welcome, McKenna. How are you? Good. Thank you so much for having me here. Oh, this is great. Let's just cut right to the chase. It says in your bio that you originally committed as a student athlete to the Ohio State University. Talk to us about what happened. How old were you? Give us the scenario so we know why you're so proud to now be a Ute. You finally came to your senses. You had a visitation from an angel. I don't know what happened, but at least you finally saw the light and decided you needed to become a Ute. Talk to us. Well, I originally committed back when NCAA rules were like way different because they made like changes of like when you could talk to everybody. So when I first committed, I was like an eighth grader. I think I was 13-ish, maybe 14. Like I had just turned 14. And so I had originally committed. Then they changed all the rules. I didn't get to talk to any college coaches. And then it was changed again and like, or not changed again, but I finally got old enough to talk to everybody. (laughs) (laughs) And so then I was like, well, you know, I kind of want to like see what else I can do. Because when I originally committed, I was like, okay, like, I was doing good, but nobody really knew who I was. And then over those, like, two, almost three years that, like, it, that, like, when I committed, I had made all these accomplishments, and I qualified to Nastia Lukin Cup, and if you know gymnastics, you'll know what that is, but otherwise. (laughs) And so I was like, okay, like, I kind of want to see what else is out there and see, like, if there are other schools that would possibly be interested in me and just kind of wanted to make sure, like, was this the right decision? And then a lot of stuff happened. I decided to decommit. And then I, Utah has always been interested in me. I just, not as much when I was younger because, you know, wasn't quite there yet (laughs) with my gymnastics. And so then Tom, he really, really tried so hard to, to recruit me. Like, he drove from Utah to New Mexico. This was during COVID, by the way. So, like, travel restrictions... If anyone, I don't think anyone knows how bad it was in New Mexico, but it was it was a little bit of a rough time when COVID was happening. But he drove all the way to New Mexico, like nine hours, just to have a 
lunch with my coach and was like, what can I do to get her here? I want her on my team. And then drove back. I think he, or I think he drove halfway. I th- there's there may or may not be rumored that he like slept in his car and then oh, yeah. finished driving the rest of the way back to Utah. But yeah. <laughs> now you bring up something so interesting, McKenna. You know, I've had so many friends, all Americans in college, and they get drafted into the National Football League or into Major League Baseball, and they end up on the wrong team, and the chemistry is wrong. And when I have a chance to speak at coaches' clinics or whatever, I always remind coaches that they're chemists and that it's not just about stats on a page and winners who have, you know, won this championship or this specific event in gymnastics, but... It's the personality and the chemistry that you also bring to the team. So that was cool. I really tuned into what Tom said, that he wanted you on his team, not so much because of your individual accolades that you'll keep piling on as the years and the seasons and the competitions increase. You're so talented. But the quality of individual that you are, that's why when I did the research, you know, I was impressed with your bio, but I wanted to know the kind of young woman that you are so let's talk about some of your heroes. So you grew up in a two-parent family, your dad and mom. Oh, yes. Yeah. You have one sister. Yes. And she plays soccer, right? Oh, gosh. Not anymore. She play, oh, She was a cross-country runner. She was a oh, swimmer. Wow. She's done, like, all kinds of sports. But. <laughs> wow. So what was your family like in New Mexico growing up? I mean, were you very athletic? Were you, you know, your favorite subject in school is math. So not only you're a talented athlete, a beautiful and a beautiful soul, <coughs> excuse me, but you actually are so extremely intelligent. I'm so impressed. Thank so you. what a mix. So talk to me about the influences in your home growing up. Oh gosh. Were your parents athletic? Talk to us about how they pushed you or how they pulled you. My parents were very athletic. My dad played baseball in college for a couple semesters or something and I think he stepped in a gopher hole and like sprained oh, his no. ankle and then they were like we don't want you on the team anymore and he was like okay sick <laughs> <laughs> and my mom she played soccer she was a swimmer and then me and my sister we were always like super athletic I remember there was a point when we were in elementary school like middle school our parents no one got home in our house until like eight o'clock at night because they were always picking us up for practice. Like, I was at the gym, or my sister was at soccer, or she was swimming, and then it was cross-country. Like, we were always doing sports growing up. So if you competed and you failed, did you get the wrath of God at home? Did your dad chase you around with a belt? Or what was the response when you failed, not just when you won, but how did they encourage you with love and support? Talk to us. Well, honestly, a lot of it depended. Because there was, like, times when, like, I could still, like, win the meet, but it was, like, it was still considered kind of, like, a failure and, like, not in a bad way, but, like, I didn't put out my best or, like, I didn't do my best, and it was, like, okay, so sit back, reflect, and my mom's, like, okay, you want to go out there and you want to be able to come back and be, like, I'm proud of what I did. I gave it my all. Like, I couldn't have done anything more, and so I always thought about that, and then another thing, especially as I got older because I started, I would put a lot of pressure on myself. She was, like, you got to have fun. Like, I want you to be able to sit sit there, walk away, and be like, you know what? I had fun out there. Even if, like, things didn't go completely the way that I planned, I at least had fun and I still went out there, gave it my all. So Absolutely. So when I interviewed Michael Jordan and I asked him what makes him the best basketball player in the world, and I still believe that, 
He said, you don't compete against others. You compete against what you're capable of. So that's what you're teaching the world is eventually, instead of trying to just do enough to win the meet, when you could you know, have done more, you're saying you need to compete against yourself. So is that what makes it fun when you can walk off with your head high and nobody knows if you fell off the beam or if you got a perfect 10, your character, your, your countenance, your look, is, your walk, your strut, still the same, right? That you gave it your very best so you don't have any regrets? Oh, yes. I specifically last year, there was a meet. I had, like, I was going through some stuff. Like, there was some stuff happening with my family. And I was just being, like, really, really hard on myself. And I just kind of got caught in this rut. And there was this meet that was, like, a total turning point for me. Like, I walked onto the floor, and I had the confidence that I had in the previous years. Like, I went out there, and I was like, I know I'm going to make these routines. It's just how, like how confident am I going to be while I'm doing it to make them the best that they are? And I, I fell at that meet. I messed up on something, like, kind of kind of silly, and it was, like, it was honestly really funny looking back, but I still remember that as one of the biggest turning points for me because I was able to overcome that really hard time that I was having with myself and believing in myself and was able to flip the switch and go out there and be confident in myself again. So what's your favorite event of the four events? Oh, gosh, to compete, I always say floor because I feel like I get to perform. It's like a little performance. I get to have an alter ego and <laughs> go out there and Absolutely. do that. <laughs> but training, I would say bars or beam are two of my favorites to train. And why is that? I had two daughters who were gymnasts, champion gymnasts. Uh, <clears throat> their coach was Missy Marlowe. You know, he was, she was an All-American at the University of Utah on the 92 Olympic team. So I grew up watching gymnasts and gymnastics meets. And uh, what, you know, it seems like the beam is always the toughest. It's the, it's, it's the hardest one to train on, the hardest one to win on. Oh, yeah. And you're saying it's your favorite thing to do. Are you nuts? Did you hit your head on the coffee table when you were 11? <laughs> I mean, come on, talk to us. I probably actually did do that, knowing me. But uh, <laughs> I love bars and beam because the, like, skills that I can do just seem, like, limitless. Like, I feel like I can always, like, try new things, always, like, play around. Like, that's one of my favorite things to do. I call the gym my, my personal playground because I get to just play and have fun, and I feel like those are the two events that I can really just, like, try so many skills. Okay, so this is a great question. So the uneven parallel bars, for those of you who have never seen a gymnastics meet, you need to buy season tickets to watch the Red Rocks. <laughs> Definitely, we've been season ticket holders for a 1,000 years. But when you see the uneven parallel bars and it comes time to performance time, competing in the Pac-12, none of us sitting in the stands have ever seen how many times you crashed and burned. So let's talk. How many times do you think it, it takes for you to perfect one element out of the entire routine on the uneven bars? Oh, gosh. <clears throat> and describe one event. What's, maybe this is a better place to start. What's, in, what's the most elementary element or trick we might call it in the yeah. stands, that you learn to first become aware of the uneven bars, and then what's the next one that you learn, and then teaches how in sequential order you put it, all these individual events, all these, excuse me, all these individual elements together for an entire routine? I would say the very first thing <clears throat> is definitely your kip. Like, that is Which one is? Of, that's how you, like, mount the bar. So I don't even know really how to describe it, but you kind of, like, hang and then bring your feet up, and then you end up, like, in a front support or, like, on top of the bar. So I would say that's, like, the most, like, basic skill that you have to master. I 
do remember being in tears, learning that skill. Uh, I made my dad build me a bar out of PVC pipe, or not PVC, oh gosh, they were like metal pipes. I think we still have it to this day in our backyard. Yep, that was. <laughs> That's awesome. It's definitely the most basic skill you have to learn. Then after that, I would say cast handstand, which you have to perfect, which I am still working on that one. But, you know, we're getting closer, a lot closer. So you maneuver from the kip. You're mounted on the bar. Yeah. And you're on the bottom bar, obviously. Or the top. It depends on what, what you do in your routine. But either way, it's the kip's the same. It's just how you get onto the bar. <laughs> okay, and then the next element and the next element. So what's the most difficult element of a bar's routine? Oh, gosh. When you let go of the bar and have to recover and recatch? Yeah, I would say, I'm going to be honest, this might be a little bit controversial, but at the end of the bar routine, sometimes kips are honestly the hardest. You learn them, like, really young, but as you, like, start doing, like, you get, like, longer routines, you're like, oh, my gosh, this kip is, like, really, it might take it out of me, because you have to be, like, you're so tight, and you get, like, so, like, so much adrenaline. Sometimes I think those are, like, the hardest skills, and then the cast handstand, too, because it's, like, I have all this adrenaline, but I want to hit the handstand, but I don't want to fall over so finding that balance is kind of hard <laughs> so how teach us all how do you manage your emotions then you know in my line of work as a professional speaker we talk so often we hear people talking about time management time management but the new the new formula the new skill set is energy management and when we can learn to manage our energy then we can do whatever we need to do you know clear our minds all the things we need to do. So how do you manage your emotions when you say you're so full of adrenaline? Let's begin the day of a meet. How do you wake up? What's your routine to manage your energy and manage your emotions and then take us onto the beam or to the floor or someplace? Normally I wake up and I try and like do things throughout the day to like help me kind of get my mind like off of it. So like before this like this previous meet that we just had, I actually I went and got my nails done. So something kind of like relaxing and just kind of like get me out of my head. Then went and I got food. So I had something good to eat. And then. What's your favorite food besides mac and cheese? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God, I love pasta. But steak, I really love steak. Is that a a pre-conference meat kind of meal? Uh, It depends. It really does. Sometimes I, like, I'll have pizza sometimes before meat. Sometimes, like. Honestly, whatever I can get, like, whatever sounds good is normally, like, or, like, I feel like I'm craving it. I have to just, like, get that because otherwise I get so nervous and then I can't eat anything. So it's, like, whatever I, like, okay, this sounds really good. Then I'm, like, okay, I'm going to get that to eat because I know I'll eat it because it sounds good. It could be high protein or it could be high carb. It doesn't matter. You don't have, like, a specific (laughs) ritual. Do you have a superstition? I need to eat this every every day or no? No, I try, I've tried very hard to, like, get myself out of that because, like, I, I don't know, I feel like I would rely on that too much when in reality, like, I'm going to do good because I trained good. (laughs) So I'd really try to get myself out of that. It used to be I always had to have pasta before meats, which, I mean, I'm I'm still completely all for that. So, because I just love pasta, but. (laughs) Are you a cook? Uh, yes, I was, well, before I got to college, we don't really have a great kitchen in our freshman dorms. So. Yeah, 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 yeah. But before, I used to actually make uh, dinner for my family like twice a week. Oh, wow. Yeah. And would you cook the the, the, the pasta? You do uh, whatever. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All kinds of stuff. So Smith's not really an Italian name, but you're just kind of <laughs> leaning that way, eh? 
Yes, a little bit. <laughs> okay, this is an interesting thing from your bio that really made me smile. How did you get interested in gymnastics, and at what age did you uh, finally flip the switch, using your words, to just say, okay, I'm going to do this? Oh, gosh. <laughs> so I actually started gymnastics because of my hairdresser. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I read that. I'm like, this is so cool. So my mom and my hairdresser, like, they've been friends for a really long time. And I was always just so high energy, like, somersaulting around. I would do, like, pull-ups, like, at our at-home gym and stuff. And the hairdresser's like, put her in gymnastics. The least it'll do, it'll burn her some energy. Like, she'll have fun with it. And then... How old were you? I was five, almost six. Wow. Yeah. I was, it was pretty, I was pretty little. And then I started gymnastics classes, and I was like, I'm going to get a cartwheel. That was, like, my big thing. So I was outside in my grandma's backyard for hours just trying to perfect a cartwheel. And <laughs> I would go inside. I'd be like, Mom, come watch, come watch. She's like, oh, that's not quite perfect. And I'd start falling. And I'm like, okay, okay, give me a minute. I'll, like, I'll come back in, and I'll show you again. I'll show you again. <laughs> and I work on it again. Like, another 30 minutes. Go back in. Bring her out. Okay, watch my cartwheel again. <laughs> do it. She's like, your legs are still bent. <laughs> I'm like, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> and so... Then I was playing soccer at the time, too, and we saw actually my coach at, like, a pool, like, really randomly, like, we were at a community pool and saw her, and she's like, you should come try out for team, and my mom's like, okay, do you want to do that? And I was like, yeah, it sounds fun. Like, I want to compete. I get a sparkly leotard. Yes, <laughs> sign me up, and so at that point, it was kind of like I had to make the decision between soccer, gymnastics, because it was, both were, like, it was so con- time-consuming, and so I was like, okay, you know what? I kind of like the whole flipping thing. And I was a little bit better at it than the soccer thing. So <laughs> I was like, yeah, let's try gymnastics. And so and I was competing at six years old. <laughs> so explain to me the, the non-aware gymnastics fans, the different levels. How do you – so you would start – when you started to compete, maybe you'd be level five or level six, correct, when you maybe eight years old or seven years old or what to teach us about how you become a, a, a eventually become that elite gymnast well oh gosh the levels have changed even since I was like competing they like flip them around all the time and I don't really I don't I know there's reasoning behind it I don't know the reasoning don't really care to learn it either but <laughs> <laughs> I know normally you start like level three to four competing now more so three because of the level change and, and what can, kind of skills do you are you required to do? And you compete in all four events. Yes. So at level three, at what age usually? When if you started at five or six, you have to. I want to say you have to be six to compete in state. I want to say like it, at the state competition. So normally, like six is like the youngest, but you can honestly be like whatever age. It's just kind of like wherever, like whatever age you start at. And so like floor, you have to have like a round up by hand. That's like your lead-up skill into everything as you get, like, older and do more. You have to do, like, a handstand on beam and then a little, like, handstand side dismount. And you have to be able to do, like, straight jumps. And then bars, you have, like, a chin-up pullover and then some front hip circle, which is, like, working on, like, shifting your wrist, which you'll use as, like, the whole entire time you progress in gymnastics. And then vault is – they changed it now. It used to be a handstand flat back off of, like, the board onto, like, a big thing of mats. Now they do a front handspring over a big thing of mats. I, I really only know this stuff because I coached it last year, and that was a uh, really big change. And it was honestly really hard to teach them because I was like, these girls, 
They weigh five pounds in the board. It does not move. <laughs> like, I was vaulting like that. It's really hard. That's funny. <laughs> but, so they all have, like, their base stuff, and then you normally have to, like, I think different teams and, like, different clubs have, like, different requirements for you to move up, but, like, the national, like, wide kind of requirement is you have to score, like, a 34 or something like that to be able to move on to the next level. And it's like that at pretty much, like, all the levels, and you keep progressing. If you're good enough, you can actually go through, and, like, if you have all your skills for, like, the next level, you can skip a level. You have to compete in, like, one meet of, like, the other levels. So, like, I skipped level six, so I went and competed one meet as a level six, scored my qualifying score to qualify out, and then was able to go as a level seven. So each event is worth 10 points usually, yeah. and so 34 would be actually pretty good across the board, right? Yeah, eight So where do you dominate? Which, uh, which of the four events? Floor? Uh, floor or vault, I would oh. say. I have scored a perfect 10 on vault, so. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, when I, was in a when I was in club, but yeah. <laughs> wow. Accomplishment. So, I'm a uh, professional speaker. I've taught at the university level for 11 years. And I discovered a long time ago something that we all know, that when you teach, you learn more than the student. Whenever you're asked to give a speech, I had a great uncle here in uh, Utah, very famous worldwide. He was an ambassador to Mexico and J. Ruben Clark. And he would prepare a speech he would prepare a three-hour speech and then edit so every word pays its own way to eventually only deliver a 20-minute speech that was perfected. So he learned so much more preparing and teaching than he ever did if he was listening or learning in the audience. So when you said that you taught last year, you coached last year, teach us all convince the world how important that is to volunteer, to give our time back, and that the personal benefit is so extraordinary exponentially we become so much better at doing what we're trying to do when we're actually on the other side teaching others what we're trying to become better at do you agree and if so teach us how what what you've learned as a as a coach and how many times have you coached how many years what have you done so i i started coaching gosh i think it was like two summers ago think yeah <laughs> and so then last year I actually I convinced my coach because I was like I like I really like coaching like I really want to do it like and I coached the level three team like way back to the beginning taking myself like way back I was like can I coach the level three team and he's like yeah as long as it doesn't get in the way like yes you can coach the level three team I was like okay awesome like yes I get to like go back and do this and then I also helped coach the level five team this past year uh, last year and both both those teams, they went on to win state championships. So it was, they were, Say that again in the microphone. Oh, sorry. Um, they both went on to win the state championships this, that past that year that I coached. So, so cool. It was like it was honestly one of the coolest things. Like I've won state, but being able to like coach the girls to it, like that was a whole different feeling, and it was so amazing. But well, you remind me of something, McKenna. <laughs> so, so one of my heroes, Muhammad Ali. You know. Boxing, heavyweight boxing champion. When I had a chance to interview him, I was a house guest back in Berrien Springs, Michigan in 1988 before Parkinson's set in. So it was an awesome interview, five hours in his house. And I said, champ, you're three-time world. He said, Danny, do you have any questions? And I said, yeah, you're three-time world champion, which means you've lost twice to, to inferior opponents. Why? He said, I got complacent. 
I said, what do you mean? He said, I forgot that once the fight begins, I no longer hold the title. I've put it up for grabs, and I must become brilliant at the basics and fight as hard as I did the first time I won it to win it back. So as a coach, going back to level three and level five, did that remind you about how important it is for you to always maintain your brilliance at the basics, that every routine, every element really has some fundamental, like your wrists, your whatever, and you just always have to stay in tune with the, with the basics, be brilliant at the basics no matter what level. Once you get to elite, once you're at level 10 or elite, there's still some basic things that you have to remind yourself about that will help you succeed. Is that true? Oh, absolutely. You actually, uh, complacent is one of my coach's favorite words. Uh, it, it, I know that sounds like it, <laughs> it sounds like it could be bad, but no. he always told us like, because our like I had a me and my like level ten team that we had, we were doing we did some amazing things in our like for New Mexico, and New Mexico is not a very big gymnastic state, so it was like we did some really good things. But he was like, when you guys get up there and you get up to like the top, or you're like trying to work work your way to the top, a lot of the times you get complacent and you just, oh, I expect it to happen. And you forget that you have to work hard for it to happen. And so he would always tell us, he's like, don't be complacent with it. You need to like, you always have to work for it. And I think it's one of those things that's always like, it's really stuck with me now. And his focus on the basics too, which was why I did really want to go back to doing all that. And it helps remind me like all the time of like the little basic things like, I'm like, oh, okay, so my vault was really weird today. Okay, well, take it back to the basic. Maybe my round off was messed up. Opposed to thinking of, like, the vault as a whole. I'm like, the vault as a whole is messed up. Break it down, go back to the basic part of it, and rework it and think about it as, like, the basic, not as this big thing. So I feel like it it really, really helped me. It helped me go back in tune with, like, being, like doing all the basics and remembering, like, what it was like to, like, learn a round off, to learn a round off back handspring. To be able to like go back and do that, it was just it helped me so much this like that last year that I think it really helped my gymnastics and helped me put into perspective like when I was having difficulties that I could like take a video, take a step back, talk to my coach about it, and he's like, Yeah, the basics. You gotta go back to those. You can't do anything without them. And something that you said earlier about your mom reminding you that you shouldn't just work hard enough to win the meet. You should work to make sure you're the very best that you can possibly be. Yeah. Nobody can exceed potential we just misjudge it so you're just letting this manifest in your life of all these things that you actually learn and uh so let me let me shift gears for a second because mental health is on everybody's mind and and you know we had the, the simone situation in the olympics and you know being around my two daughters and around championship gymnasts and you know i'm great friends with Peter Vidmar and Bart Connor and Nadia Komeni. Saw those folks from that era when they came out of the Olympics. I was helping them get into the professional speaking world. So I know what twisties are and I know what mental blocks are. And most folks, they they would judge or not understand when that happens. But because it does happen, let's just talk for one minute before we conclude about how do you deal with with, you said something so profound. For, for, you're, you're this young woman, in a, in, you're an old soul in a, in a young you know, body. This is so cool. You're just you've been around the block a few times. So when you said you break down, when you when you when your 
vault's not going well or whatever. You don't just say the vault sucks. You say, wait, let's just break it down into incremental pieces and fix what's broken. So it's not the sky is falling. It's not my life sucks. Yeah. And with the high propensity of suicide and these mental health issues, it teaches it from a wise woman's perspective of what you would do if someone thinks their life sucks, they just broke up with their boyfriend, their girlfriend, their partner, whatever, and they think it's not life's not worth living. But it is if you break it down and say, wait a minute, that's going good. This is going good. This is going good. It's not all bad. Let's just figure out that one part of the element that I can tweak to help me perfect my life vault, if you will. Teach us. Well, okay, my sister, my uh she might hurt me for saying this, not going to lie. But uh, she has been the one who's taught me a lot about the mental health and mental toughness. And she's truly, I would say, one of my biggest heroes, which sounds really funny because she's my little sister. But she's gone through so much stuff in her life that you would not expect anyone to be able to deal with and come out with a smile on her face. And somehow she does. And she's de- she has her rough days and has, like, her hard times. But one of the things that she's always, like, she- really like throughout like her time like dealing with this stuff has like shown me is that you can only control the things that you can control and that you have to find like the good in like the little things because yeah there might be like all these things going wrong but you have to find the parts that are like going good like I mean being a freshman on like an amazing team like this it's like I sit there and I look up at what they're doing and I'm like oh my gosh these girls are amazing and like I'm so intimidated but then I have to sit back and I have to look like it apart and listen to like what the coaches say and they're like you know what you're handling it really well or I have to sit there and be like you know what I'm actually away from my family and I don't have them with me here so I have to be proud of myself for being good on my own and even if it is hard sometimes like you just have to find like the little things and the little things that are going to make you smile or if you're having a hard day do something that will make you smile and do something that will make you happy like that's one of the things I always try and do and I've definitely had my hard times, my hard weeks, my hard months even. And you just have to find the little things that, like, you know, make you forget about this black, like, almost fog that's, like, trying to intrude over everything. You have to find a little bit of sunshine to let it through and say, you know what? Not everything is as bad as it seems. There is really good things that are happening, even if you don't immediately recognize them. I love it. Yeah, darkness cannot drive out light only. <laughs> Right, can illuminate light. <laughs> Last thing, because I'm such a proud University of Utah U alumni, and we're so grateful that you're part of the team. You brought this magical <laughs> chemistry to your smile, your energy, your look, your soul. It's just so amazing, McKenna. Give us one sales pitch, one serve pitch to any young gymnast out there in the world who is considering coming to the University of Utah. Why should they be a Ute? I think that anyone should be a Ute because Utah doesn't focus on, oh, you're a good athlete. They want to make you a good person. They want to prepare you for life, and they want you to be able to achieve any goals that you have that are outside of your sport, truly. Like, the amount of support that they give to make you prepared for the professional world and to get you where you want to go is amazing. Heard it. So, McKenna, how do we follow you? If there's any NIL name, image, and likeness <laughs> folks out there with a big pocketbook and a deep pocket, let's support McKenna Smith. How do we how do we follow you? What are your social media handles? Okay, on Instagram, we got a big underscore Mac underscore attack. <laughs> McKenna. Yep, we love it. I love it. And then if 
you're a really big gymnastics fan, check out the Who Rocks the House Collective because they're doing some amazing things with NIL, and I can't wait to see what's in store with that for the next three years. <laughs> Absolutely. So there you have it, Ute fans and fans across the country being Pac-12 champions in so many ways. Kenneth Smith has been my guest. Remember, we need to support our student-athletes at the University of Utah to help them become the person that they were born to be, who happen to be great athletes, and we can do that by you know, making it easier and supporting them, you know, treating them like the, excuse me, the celebrities that they are that cause us to burp on the air and still be able to smile about it. You're such a delightful young lady. <laughs> Thanks for joining me. This is Dan Clark, Power Players with Dan Clark, and we love our youths. The views and opinions expressed on the Power Players podcast do not necessarily reflect those of KUTV or Sinclair Broadcast Group.